week by week, we have these three lessons from the scripture. Sometimes it's very easy to pick which one you want to preach from, and sometimes it's very difficult because they are all very good, and sometimes they all just point in the same direction. Today is one of those days, I think, and I just love all three lessons. They're very good. The first lesson comes to us from Isaiah, Isaiah speaking on behalf of God. It points to a time after the Babylonian exile when the people are, are settling back in the land. And, and Isaiah says in the name of God that they should be decent people, they should take care of the poor and so on. Then he goes on to say, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath. Did you hear that? Enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight. Delight? Delight? Anybody? Delight? Thank you. Thank you. Speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Then, on, then the Lord will be your delight. Do you see how the two are intertwined? To, to, to delight in the Sabbath is at the same time to delight in the Lord. And I think the converse is also true. Not to delight in the Sabbath is probably not to delight in the Lord. For to come together on Sabbath day, whether, whether you're a Jew or a Christian, you're coming into the Lord's presence, coming to delight in the Lord. And it just don't get much better than that, does it? Does it? No. Thank you! I didn't plant her. She's just there. That's first lesson, wonderful Sabbath lesson. The second one I want to talk about is the gospel for today, which also takes place on a Sabbath. Jesus was teaching in a synagogue on a Sabbath when this woman came in, all bent over. <clears throat> She'd been afflicted with something or other for 18 years. She couldn't even straighten up. And when he saw her, he said, woman, you're set free. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she stood up straight. Now, I don't doubt that that story happened just the way it says, and I don't see a reason to doubt it. It happened that way. I think for us, however, it's, it's a wonderful metaphor of what happens to us when we come together on Sabbath. We come in, or many of us come in, I can't speak for all of you, many of us come in all bent over from a week or a year or a lifetime of troubles. All bent over. We come into this place into this presence. And one way or another, the Lord Jesus reaches out to touch us. And in reaching out to touch us, we are able to stand up straight. Think what that means, to stand up straight. Not, not bent over, not, not ashamed, not sorrowful. Now you may walk out that door and by tomorrow morning you've been knocked down again. That happens, I know it happens. But for this hour at least, you're loved, you're forgiven, you can stand upright before the Lord. I don't care where you come from, what you've done, what your past, I don't care about any of that. In this hour, right here, right now, you can stand upright because the Lord God himself in Jesus' name welcomes you, welcomes you into his presence. Which leads me to that wonderful second lesson, and that's where I want to spend most of my time. It, that lesson never, the second lesson never mentions the Sabbath. And yet, for me at least, it's a 
the whole story about Sabbath. It's a story about coming together in the Lord's presence. Notice how it begins. Notice how it begins. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming flat fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. You have not come to a physical place. Well, this is a physical place, obviously. But it isn't because of this physical place that we come together. We can meet in a cave or a stable or anywhere else. And this is a wonderful place, and I'm always glad to meet here. It's a lovely, lovely place to, to meet for worship. But it isn't this physical place, this particular place, that makes it the place of God. You can meet God in any number of places. Like I said, you can meet, meet God in a cave, or a stable, or a storefront. It, it doesn't matter in that regard. We are set free from that old understanding of having to go to a particular place. The Israelites went to Mount Sinai. Later on, they went to, to, to Jerusalem. That was the place. But even, even the Jews learned that after a time, place didn't matter that much. They could worship in a synagogue anywhere. And so it is with us, anywhere. Not a particular place, but the place where God meets us. You skip a few verses, it says, No, no, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Every time we meet, you have come. You have come not to the place, but to this, this place. Not to this place, but to this place. The gathering of God's people around his word and sacraments. The gathering of God's people together to meet him week by week by week. You have not come... You have not come to a, to a physical mountain, but to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem. You know, there's that, there's that hymn. I, I think it's in our book, actually. I, I didn't look. When we all get to heaven, when we all get to heaven. Friends, we made it! For this hour, at least, we're there. Now, you may be back in hell on Monday morning. But right now, we're there. That's what it says. And notice the verb there. You have come. You have come. That verb is, is the verb. It can be translated, you have drawn near. Sometimes you've heard that word, draw near. I use that word in worship sometimes, draw near. That's the same, same word that gets translated that way. It's the word that's often used in the scripture to, to signify coming into the presence of God. And you draw near face to face with God. Face to face with God. So, and, and then notice the tense. It's a perfect tense. It means it's already attained. This is not something that's out there in the future, some, you know, light years away. Right now, it's already happened. You can draw near. It's okay. Draw near right now to the heavenly Jerusalem, to, to, to this. I often, you've heard me, those of you who are regulars have heard me say it. It's, it's like in another dimension, you know, we have three dimensions, height, depth, and height, depth, and width, yeah. And sometimes time is a dimension. I say it's like a fifth dimension, a fifth dimension. We draw into this place where God is present with us and for us, with us. You have, where, where countless 
thousands of angels. Are there joyful gathered? Think of that. Give me an amen again. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thousands and thousands of angels gathered around us, folks. You don't have to wait until that last day. It's right now. You can't see them. I know that. You can't see them. They're here. You have come to the assembly. The word there is the same word that other places gets translated church. Now, assembly is really a better translation. I'm glad they used it. But it could have, they could have just as well translated, you have come to the church of God's firstborn children. I want every one of you to look around. Look around at these other people here. Look around who's here. You know who, you know who all these other people are? They are God's firstborn children. That's what it says, God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. All of them. You're gathered with people whose names are already written in heaven. You're keeping good company, aren't you? You always stop. You have come to God himself. Think about that. We often say we come to worship God. Yeah, we do. Some people say they come to learn about God for instruction. That's all more or less true. We come to meet God right here in this place. The, the one who is judge over all things. Now that, that's a, a, a good word, I guess, and a bad word. Judge? It can be a scary word to meet the judge. But who's our judge? Our judge is the one who welcomes us, the one who sent Jesus Christ to lay down his life for us. That's who our judge is. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven. That could just as well be translated the saints in heaven. Hmm? You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. So we have all these angels gathered around us. Who else is gathered around us? All, all the blessed ones, the saints who have gone before us, they're here. You, they're here. Aunt Tilly and Uncle George, they're, they're here, gathered around. We said in our, in our, in our uh, narrative liturgy, that's one of the reasons going back, some of these altar rails are, 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 are half circles. And traditionally, it was said that the other half of the circle is where all the saints and angels are gathered. You can't see them back there, but they're on the other half, gathered around with us. And so they are, singing the same songs, singing the same songs. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who've now been made perfect. Here we go. <laughs> this is the best part, guys. You have come to Jesus. You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates a new covenant between God and his people. There was an old covenant. I don't want to go into all that. But there's an old covenant, covenant God made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, you know, all that. But the new covenant, it's simply a one-way covenant. He said, I love you, I forgive you, I lay down my life for you. You, every one of you, redeemed by his blood, his precious blood for you. His blood that seals all the promises you can believe his word. He died for that. He died for you. He died for you. And that's what it goes on to say that. And the sprinkled blood. You know, in the Old Testament, Moses, when he sealed the covenant, he took a basin of blood. 
from bull or whatever. He spliced some of it on the altar, and then the rest of it he took <coughs> spread it on the people. That was to show them they were included in the covenant. We don't do it just that way, but we come to this table and we, we take a sip of wine that the church has always said is the blood of Jesus for us. That's how we participate in that blood right now, which speaks of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Whoever you are, whatever it's been. You know, <laughs> Diane had a Facebook message yesterday from a, a young man. We've known him since he was a little boy. And the Facebook message, he was just crying out right on Facebook for all the world to see. He said something about he wished he could repent more because his sins were weighing on him so heavily. And he put that out there for all the world to see. Just this fear that God might not love him or forgive him. I hope that's not true of any of you. Because I'm telling you, God loves you. And those words are sealed in blood. Jesus died. Sealed those words. He doesn't tell lies. He tells the truth. I love you. I forgive you. I want you among my people right now, today, here. Speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Too often I think Christians are thinking about that vengeful God. And there are stories in the Bible that are that way. I know that. They're there. And you have to read them and understand them in their context. But that's not the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is not a vengeful story. It's a loving story. A story of forgiveness and truth. Now, the last couple of verses, the last verse, in fact, is, is kind of a kicker, isn't it? Listen to me. That's what it's saying. Listen to me, I'm speaking God's word to you right now, and it's the truth. Don't turn away. Listen to these words. You are loved, you are cared for, you are forgiven. This is for you. To turn away it is, it is, how can I say it? How, how can I say it? is to turn away from love, to turn away from grace. Why would you do that? It's self-destruction, isn't it? Self-destruction. Hear me. Now, I'll use a, 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 a colloquial phrase. In God's name, hear me. You are love. You are God's children. God is here today for you in this hour, in this place, on this holy mountain, that you might know him, receive him, love him.